you're in a very important roundtable discussion. Your job as a group is to figure out how to improve schools. One person says, we should focus on leadership. Another person says, no, we should focus on creativity. Another, collaboration and teamwork. Another one says, no, compassionate uh, citizenship. Another one says, no, we have to focus on emotional intelligence. And another one says, critical thinking, and on and on. The question is, who is right? Before we get started here, I wanted to mention a nonprofit organization called Operation Underground Railroad. They're not an official sponsor of this podcast, but I'm a huge advocate of theirs because I believe they are tackling the most important issue that we have in today's world, and that is the issue of child sex slavery. Operation Underground Railroad rescues children and also provides recovery homes and counseling for them to transition back into society. And they also provide resources and training to police departments domestically and internationally because they're able to get around the red tape and bureaucracy that inhibits some police departments or some operations to happen. So check them out at ourrescue.org. That's O-U-R-R-E-S-C-U-E.org. Now, obviously, all of the people around the table are right. But to what degree? Obviously, schools need to change in preparing students for the real world. But the question is, how? Once we come up with the purpose, that narrows down the how extremely. Let me highlight... uh, message someone sent to this podcast. Um, I think that is a perfect segue into this next episode. So here's Katie, and let's listen to what she has to say. Hello. Hi, Chris. Um, I really, really love the topic and your podcast. And I would like um, just to add the following at your question regarding, you know, how can we change or how can we make schools better? Well, based on my last 10 years experience is making learning meaningful is the most important for this generation. They born in um, era of information. They know very well where and how to find information. They know how to use technology, but we have to combine and teach them how to use this meaningfully, how to develop skills that they can actually use. So they create things and buy this in a very short term from getting the information toward me. Thanks, Katie, for your comments. Uh, Sorry about the cutoff there. There's a one minute cutoff on the recording. So if any of you want to send a message, uh, just make sure that um, you can fit it within that 60 second timeframe there. Um, But Katie brought up a really good point here. The point is, our current school system, as we all know, relies on transmitting facts and understanding low-level concepts. Now, being that we're in the information age, we don't need human teachers to be doing that for us, necessarily. And what Katie's mentioning is the root of how to improve schools, which is making learning meaningful. Okay, and that's what we're exploring in this podcast. So 
in order to make learning meaningful, we have to first start with the first principles. This first principles approach is something I recently learned from Elon Musk, who started a school uh, called Astra, Ad Astra, and um, it's called Ad Astra. And his approach, he used a physics approach, a scientific approach, to starting a school. He said, um, just like in physics, where you have to not assume anything and go to the very root of the creation of, of, uh, of the nature of what it is you're creating. You have to go to the very first principles. For example, if things fall to the ground, why do they fall to the ground, right? And you begin to theorize then over the course of hundreds of years, we've come up now with what is now the law of gravity. That's a first principle because everything that has mass has gravity. Similarly, how can we apply first principles to creating a school or improving schools? Well, what is school for in the first place? Those are the first principles, though, which is what I went over in the first episode. What is the purpose of school? Let's get out of the research of what we're doing. We're entrenched in uh, improving this machine. But first, the first principles approach says, what is the machine even for? Why did we make this machine? Because unlike physics, education is a man-made system or a human-made system. So, and unlike gravity, education is something that we can change. It's something that we can adapt to our needs and that needs to actually adapt to our needs of the times. So, in taking this first principles approach, we have to consider the psychological principles of learning because education is a system. Learning is a natural human process. So what are the natural human processes in learning? And that's what we're going to get into a little bit today. As a recap for last week's episode, the purpose of school I came to is to get a good job. Now, the reason why it's to get a good job is because that's what people ultimately want with a good education, a good job. That's what you expect. Before we created education as a system, everyone's learning happened primarily by the parents. In fact, many philosophers before uh, common education talked about learning and quote-unquote education as something that primarily the mother was responsible for. And you can read about this too, and especially in Jean-Jacques Rousseau's uh, book or series of books called Emile, where he focuses particularly on education. And any type of education that was not moral or religious or developing the whole person was done via apprenticeships. So parents taught their children and then the children went outside of the home to learn, but they learned to get a good job. When we created education as a system, it was after the industrial revolution had started and white collar jobs had started to be created. 
because of this new machinery. Now people didn't have to work as uh, individual small businesses with little labor and manual labor at that. So after the Industrial Revolution, all of a sudden, you could scale companies. All of a sudden, you could hire more people and you can have organizations and, and businesses with so many more employees that you would need people who are more trained in order to fulfill white-collar jobs, white-collar roles. And that, at the time, required academic training. Okay, So education from the beginning was meant to help us get a good job, to qualify for a good job, to be competitive in the job market. So when we talk about a first principles approach to figuring out what education is about, we have to also recognize that it is not a natural system. It is a an artificial system. Okay, so we have to come up with this purpose in order to put a scope on what the purpose of school is going to be. Now, if you're at this roundtable that I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, obviously, like I mentioned, everyone's right. But the everyone is only right because all of those alternatives are better than the current alternative. Meaning that uh, it, obviously we can't change schools to fill all of those roles. And if you think that's possible, you haven't worked at a school and you haven't worked in a classroom. There's just way too, too many things involved. You have to pick a few focuses. You have to. Especially if you're going to prepare people in a meaningful way, like Katie said. Have meaningful learning. Okay? So, the purpose of school will give us a scope in order to understand how to improve schools. First, you have to know what you're aiming toward in order to know how to get there. If you don't know where you're going, it doesn't matter where you're going to go. That's why if you don't have a purpose for school explicitly stated or explicitly in your mind, then it doesn't matter what you choose as long as you have clients or as long who will pay for your private school or as long as you have people coming to your charter school or public school, whatever the case may be, homeschooling community. It doesn't matter. It's just going to be a pick and choose thing. And that's fine. Maybe that's what it is going to be in the, in the future where everyone can just choose what they want, especially because in the K-12 uh, uh, education system, it's a lot more malleable and, and whatnot. But anyway, I'm not going to get diverted from that. The point is, if you have a purpose for the whole education system as a whole, then we're going to know how to get there a lot more clearly. Let's just take a few popular uh, uh, people for uh, examples, just to kind of show you a little bit more explicitly what I'm trying to say. Seth Godin is an internationally renowned marketer and, I would say, uh, a critical thinker. He said that in his thoughts about school, and a lot of people listen to his voice, his, his uh, purpose for school is twofold. One, solve interesting problems, and two, create leaders. I think that's great. By the way, all of these things I'm not condoning at all. All of these things are obviously great things, and, and like I mentioned earlier, better than the current alternative. So the only thing I'm saying is that unless we have a purpose 
everything is going to sound like a good idea. And unless we have a purpose, we're not going to be able to do all of these things that are good ideas because we're not going to be able to clearly know where we're going. Paul Graham is another example. He, uh, uh, he didn't come out with a, a particular purpose for school, not that I know of at least, but he, I recently read a tweet of his. He, Paul Graham is a, a, one of the founders of Y Combinator, a popular, um, a very famous actually business incubator in San Francisco that uh, um, Uber came out of and a lot of other tech companies and uh, other companies as well. He said, um, of all the things we should teach in school, counterintuitiveness should be high on the list. I agree. I agree with Paul Graham. I agree with Seth Godin. Um, educational thinker, Sir Ken Robinson. And if you don't know him, you should definitely look him up. Uh, especially if you're listening to this podcast, you're the type of person who would listen to Sir Ken Robinson. He says that there are actually four main purposes of school, personal, social, cultural, and economic. In the personal aspect, education should enable young people to engage with the world with, within them as well as with the world around them. For the social aspect, he says education should enable young people to become active and compassionate citizens. For the cultural aspect, he says education should enable students to understand and appreciate their own cultures and to respect the diversity of others. And in the economic uh, foundation, it should be education should enable students to become economically independent and responsible. Additionally, you have things like 21st century skills, uh, you know, things that I've mentioned before. You know, all of these things are good ideas, but unless you have a clear purpose, everything is going to sound like a good idea and it, we're not going to be able to do them. So let's start with the first principles. Everyone expects, no matter whatever your list may be of all the things you hope out of education, you expect to get a good job. That's the very root of everything. But what does a good job mean? What is a good job? What do I mean by that? But when I say good job, I don't mean just go get some skills as an iron worker and, and um, you know, work until you build up a good enough retirement and then you retire, right? That's not what I mean. I don't mean to make it sound overly practical where all schools become technical schools all of a sudden, or, um, uh, yeah, technical schools are what they're called. So what I, what I mean by that is we have to envision what jobs will our students or our kids have in the future. Well, if you think about it, and if you look into it, you'll know, you'll realize that jobs in the future are not going to look anything like the jobs now. And especially with the advancements in um, artificial intelligence and robotics, especially uh, in the labor market, there's going to be a huge loss or a huge displacement of work, particularly for the labor market. I think it's, uh, you know, the, we, we don't even know what the uh, jobs in the future will look like some you know how they say there's the the statistics on you know such and such percentage of uh jobs our our kids are going to have um something like two-thirds of the jobs they're going to have in the future are not don't exist right now 
you know, and, and we, we hear estimates like that all the time, particularly in the tech industry. So how can we, how can, how can I say that the purpose of education is to help you get a good job and then not even know what the jobs are going to be? So with that context, then we have to make sure education and schooling is malleable enough, is flexible enough, is um, adaptable enough in order to adapt to the needs of the current situation or the current job market. Or I would say the future job market, right? Because we're preparing them for the future. So, and how that, that begs the question, how can we prepare kids for a future where jobs don't even exist that they're going to have yet? Well, since we're working from the ground up, from the very beginning, right? We've already established the purpose of school is to help you get a good job. Then it, it, what needs to happen is all of these um, applicable skills, foundational skills, must be learned, right? Somehow, and we have to pick and choose, right? So there has to be two, I'm going to argue, things that we focus on in terms of how to help kids get a good job okay so we've established i've established the argument for the purpose of school being to get a good job okay now how do we prepare students to get a good job especially with the context of not knowing what what's going to happen in terms of the job market well one obviously we, they have to learn foundational skills that apply to all careers, okay? So all of the things that were mentioned around the roundtable, this figurative roundtable I mentioned earlier, there has to be a list or there has to be some focuses of foundational skills that apply to all careers that need to be learned, okay? Now, what are those skills? We don't know necessarily. Um, there are some that are more important is what I'm saying. We know that we need to do things that are uh, creative and we, that all of these 21st century. We know we need to do them, but which ones are the most important ones? Because not all of them can be focused on. Well, okay, so that's one thing, right? So I mean, let me focus on this real quick and then I'm going to go to the second thing. So what are how how can we at least reduce this list okay well thinking about how the artificial intelligence industry is booming and what i mean by that is artificial intelligence is increasing at a rapid rate not linearly but exponentially okay Look into anything artificial intelligence and you'll realize this. People even say this. Experts in the AI field say that it's increasing exponentially. What does that mean? That means if this year uh, artificial intelligence grew 20%, next year it's not going to grow another 20%. It's going to grow maybe 30%. And then the next year it doesn't grow 30% of the new amount. It grows maybe 40% of that new uh newly grown 30 percent 
So it just keeps getting faster and faster and faster how much artificial intelligence is increasing. In fact, Tesla just a couple of days ago, wait, what's today's date? Saturday, August 21st. Thursday, August 19th, I'm pretty sure it was. Tesla announced the very first purchasable human robot. The first prototype Elon Musk announced is going to be next year, the summer of 2022. And he basically presented that this is going to be something that will be able to do mundane, boring tasks that may be repetitive and that can help you. For example, going to the store and buying such and such groceries, doing the laundry, doing the dishes, uh, cleaning the house, and anything. And it's going to be purchasable. There's already... And in the robotics industry, there's already ro robotic arms that are replacing uh, fast food industry uh, fry fryers or the for the French fries, the fry machines. This list goes on and on. So one way that we can reduce the list of what we need to focus on is recognizing that whatever it is that our kids need to focus on, it cannot be something that's replaceable by AI. Okay, so let's look at this list again. It's pretty. It's pretty good the way it is actually. But let's just look at it. Critical thinking. Okay. There are definitely aspects of critical thinking that can only be done by humans, but I think we can take critical thinking off of the list in terms of the most important things to focus on. I'm not saying we won't focus on it. It's just not going to be one of the main things that we focus on. You understand the difference there? So critical thinking will not be one of the pillars of education because we're teaching machines to think critically and even faster than us because they can receive more data and interpret it, interpret it more quickly. Same thing with analytical thinking and all of that stuff. Almost a little bit of creativity, although creativity still is in our realm. Um, if you haven't seen the documentary AlphaGo, it's about the first program to beat a world Go player. Now, if you don't know, Go is a very popular board game worldwide. It's like uh, it's more popular than uh, chess, I would say. I, I think just because of uh, the, I, well, actually, I can't even make that claim. I don't know. So never mind. But chess, the number of possibilities uh, that chess has is not as extensive as the number of possibilities in Go. Why? Because in chess, all of the pieces are set up in a specific location initially. Then each piece only has a particular way you can move. And so that limits its range. And... There are only 16 pieces that you have to start off with and you're trying to protect your king so you can only really you're only really moving about 15 of them most of the time. Now go has a board. I don't know how many pieces are, are are on it, but it looks more like a 20 by 20 board instead of an 8 by 8. And all of the pieces start off in a bowl. They're not even on the board yet and you could put it wherever you want. And so the number of possibilities are way more with the types of games you can play with Go than in chess. So we've already made AI 
AI that can beat uh, world uh, chess grandmasters like 20, 20 plus years ago. I think that was in the 90s that they did that. But only until recently, only until about a few years ago, I think it was 2016 AlphaGo ha uh, happened, that w were we able to create a machine that is able to, um, uh, what's it called, beat a world Go player. And in chess, the machines, the computers now have all possible uh, plays, all possible gameplays recorded, basically. All that data, all the possibilities. But for Go, the possibilities are so many times more that in order for a program to learn all of them, I mean, I'm getting too long into this, but this is all promise. I promise for a good context for this build up what I'm getting to. All of those possibilities, if we were to download every single possibility, or if we were to have a machine learn all of the possible games that could be played, uh, according to the hardware that we have, the limitations of the hardware that we have for the, are the machine learning, it would take about a thousand years for all of the possible games that could be played to be downloaded by the um or to be learned by the machine. Obviously, that's not something that we're going to be waiting for. So they have come up with strategic and creative ways to program the algorithms to have the, the AlphaGo program learn how to strategize, learn what types of moves it should make in order to increase the probability of winning without knowing exactly the possible game types. And the first two games, AlphaGo won. The third one, it lost the games four and five it won as well and by the end of the documentary the the go um champion said about the machine the machine was creative wow what a statement the machine was creative in trying new things that seemed out there and weird but that made it win because it was able to predict with some level of confidence that it would win with this type of move and then that type of move. And this is what the Go player said after. He said, I thought I was creative and innovative in the way that I approached these things. But playing AlphaGo made me realize that us humans are much more paternal than we think or we follow patterns more, uh, more often than we think. What an amazing thought that a computer can be programmed to be so creative that it made one of the world's best and creative goal players say, yeah, I think I was mainly just following more patterns than I thought. We're, uh, he said we're a lot more conventional than I thought is what was the word that was translated because he's Korean. The translated word was conventional. He says he made me realize that we're a lot more conventional than I thought. And I think we can learn a lot from the computer about how to be creative and how to strategize differently in Go. Can you believe that? So this computer was more creative than a human is essentially what he's saying. So that means that creativity may not be one of the top things on the list because of that. Anyway, I'm not going to narrow this down too much, but 
those are at least two things that we can already, I feel confidently scratch off the list in terms of a main pillar for how we help kids get good jobs. Okay. Um, and I, I don't have a, a, a succinct list of what we need to do, but this using the first principles approach, this is where we're at so far. And in fact, a lot of people in education don't even go as far as the purpose part yet, which is why I'm making one of the reasons why I'm making these podcasts in terms of the conversation purpose of my podcast. Now, what what what's the the second part here? Let me go to the second part of what I, uh, what I was going to get to. Oh yes. So with the first principles approach, okay, there's the system. How does the system serve the student? There's also how is the student going to uh, enjoy the process? Okay. Or how is the student going to uh, learn? Now, using the first principles approach, the learning process is natural. So that means we have to go to the root principles on how we best learn as one of the ways on how we help people or students get a good job. Well, thankfully, we have a lot of psychological research on how we best learn, and now we can approach this research. We've now come to the purpose we have to help kids get a good job and what does that mean we have to help how do we do that a good job is a job that helps uh, uh kids become or adults become financially independent that's what people expect from a good job and also that you would enjoy the job i think you know if you don't enjoy the job you're more likely to uh to leave um i think a uh, gallup had a survey that said something like uh, 70% of all uh, adult working adults in the United States are dissatisfied with their current job. Imagine how much more productive we would be if that, uh, if 70% of people, adult working adults were satisfied with their jobs, how much more innovation would there be? How much more creativity? How much more uh, would the economy, economy be thriving because in, in that situation? So, Going so going to the root principle, how we best learn, we have to recognize that learning is a natural process and that we actually enjoy learning. Learning is not something that we loathe or that we hate or that we we tend to stray away from. If we you have to think about this, when we're born, we're learning every, for every single you know, day, every single hour, every single minute. And that leads us to be more and more curious throughout our lives and throughout our childhood. So answering our the questions of our curiosities really informs us on how schools can leverage that natural learning process, first principles, to teach kids and prepare them for the future. Okay. So here's the, the research on this is the research of intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic motivation. Extrinsic motivation is motivation where you're, uh, you're motivated because of some reward you're going to get, for example, a good grade or maybe a paycheck. And intrinsic motivation is motivation that you have just because. Because naturally you want to do that thing. Naturally you're curious. Naturally you want to accomplish this thing. You know, whether it be music or uh, technology or um, 
economics or the stock market, math, whatever it is, you're naturally interested in that. So on how we help prepare kids for the future, number one, they have to learn the, the way that on the education system side of it, we have to establish foundational skills that apply to all careers. And on the pedagogical side, the learning side, we have to make sure that it's something that's enjoyable. And so how do we do that? This is my second point. Help students pursue their own interests. If we help students pursue their own interests, then they'll be motivated intrinsically to do, to, to learn the things that they will need to learn and to um, and putting it in a context of these foundational skills that need to learn for, that apply to all careers, then that will create a much more organic system in which a student can thrive and in which they will be better prepared and gain more skills for the future. So that's my podcast for today. If you have any other uh, comments to add, please feel free to um, add them to... Uh, Actually, it'd be easier to for comments to uh, comment on my Twitter account, which is at Chris School 3000. That's C-H-R-I-S School 3000. Or if you want to send a 60 second or less voice message, you can do that at anchor.fm forward slash school 3000. So thanks for listening to this podcast episode and I'll see you in the next one. Thanks for listening to this podcast episode again. I'm on a roadmap to learn AI within the next three to four years. So if you or anyone you know is interested in AI and how it pertains to education and how it can help revolutionize education and push education to the next level, please have them contact me at my Twitter handle, which is at Chris School 3000. Thanks.